somewhere within arm's reach of where you're sitting right now is a Bible, would you open it up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16? And you can find that on the, in the church Bible on page 239. If you're watching from home, pause this video, go grab your own Bible, and we're going to spend our time in this often overlooked passage sandwiched between the anointing of David. There's those kind of famous words, maybe remember them, that God looks on the inside, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. We hear that at David's anointing. And, and next week, we'll be in the story of David and Goliath, but here in the middle is this often overlooked passage about king, anointed to be king David, who is yet to serve in that role. Well, uh, before we do that, uh, let me ask you to imagine for yourself that you've received the promotion of a lifetime. And the raise will mean generational wealth for your family, for your kids, for your grandkids, for their kids, for their kids, kids for, for years and years to come. And you will have in your new role the kind of influence to make it the kind of difference that you could only dream of ever before. And one guy, or one day, you get a call from the guy who you will succeed. And he offers you a job. Turns out, you show up for your first day of work, and the boss that you will one day replace is a pretty grumpy guy. And your job is to do his grunt work. You've got to make copies, you've got to get coffee, you've got to manage the playlist that plays in the office where you work, and little does your boss know that you will succeed him and little do you know when that day will come for you. But you've received the promotion of a lifetime. And this is the predicament that David finds himself in in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He goes to work for a pretty grumpy guy, Saul. The trajectory of his life is headed to a dark place. If we rewind back, uh, last week we looked at David's anointing. He's the overlooked son, the seventh son of Jesse. But, but if we go back further into the story of the first king of Israel, when Saul is anointed, he receives the Holy Spirit. It rushes on him. He becomes like a new man. And as he's introduced days later to the people of Israel, they can't find him. He's hiding among the baggage, they tell us. He's a very insecure person. He's not sure if he's ready to do the job that he's been called by God to do. And the trajectory of his life is headed to a very dark place. He'll... Not only is he grumpy and upset here, we'll, we'll get more into that in just a moment, but later he'll, he'll become very jealous of David and try to pin David to the wall with a spear multiple times. He's afraid of David, despite the fact that David has only done ever, made every attempt to serve him and honor him. Saul is having a dark day when we meet him in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. And David is called into his service. Now, let me say this, that if, if this is the man who God chooses to be the king, 
if this is the Lord's anointed one, Saul, if this is what his life looks like when he turns his back on the the one who pursues him and chases after him with his love and mercy and forgiveness, whose love and mercy are new every morning. That's really the predicament Saul finds himself in. Last week, we, we looked at David. Again, who, remember Psalm 23, the way that ends? Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's more than just sort of a passive following. The, in the Hebrew, the, the word is more active, that, that the love and the mercy of God chase after us, that he pursues us with his love. That throughout the story of David's life, we're seeing that. But Saul now, at this point in his life, has turned his back on the one who pursues him, God has really stepped back. What is, and this is what his life looks like now. Turning your back on God might not be a problem for you. And whether you're Saul or not, we all have days where we, in a way, like Saul, are grumpy and anxious and fearful and annoyed how can we be the kind of people who in whatever station of life we find ourselves, who in whatever season of life we're in, be the kind of people who have a deep sense of purpose no matter what we do, and an inner reservoir of peace on the inside that supersedes whatever is happening around us on the outside. For the answer, we'll turn to these two men over the next few minutes of our time together. First, to Saul, a king on the way down. And then second, to David, a king on the way up. So first, if you've got your Bible open, let's read verses 14 through 17 in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Again, this is page 239. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Notice its origin, from the Lord and evil. What's going on there? We'll get to that in a minute. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord... Now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, like a handheld harp could fit in your arm. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, sounds like a good idea. Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Let's pause right there. What is going on with this evil spirit from the Lord? You ever notice that here? I mean, you kind of jump from David's anointing to David and Goliath, but here, what's happening? What is the origin of this evil spirit? It's from the Lord? I think there are a couple of options that can help us get our mind around what's happening here, that perhaps, number one, God is allowing this difficulty in Saul's life to wake him up. So if you were to rewind and to read carefully through the chapters prior to this, Saul is ignoring God's commands. Samuel the prophet comes to Saul multiple times. He puts him on a performance improvement plan. And Saul is not responding. Multiple times. 
He does what he wants, not what God wants, despite the fact that God has told him very clearly what to do. And too impatient to wait on God's timing, he takes matters into his own hands and does what he wants instead of what God wants. The spirit departs from him, an evil spirit rushes into the vacuum. So there's sort of this thread of this sort of spiritual seesaw that's woven throughout these chapters in 1 Samuel, perhaps out of love for Saul, God is allowing this difficulty into his life one last time in order to wake him up. Maybe. Or, God is using this spirit that's within his control, within the boundaries of what he commands, in order to advance the plan that he has already put in motion to get David, who's been anointed prior to this, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and into the court of King Saul. We're not really sure why Saul has this spirit, because the text doesn't really tell us. I just want to say briefly as an aside that if you're in Christ Jesus, You belong to him. No one can snatch you out of his hand. And this is not something that you need to worry about because you are his and you belong to him forever. But for Saul, this isn't a good thing. The trajectory of his life is headed to a very dark place and we're only in the middle. It's only going to get darker in the chapters that follow. And and this is the guy who God chooses. Knowing full well that this is about to take place. But for Saul's own life and for his own heart, how, how does this happen? Well, let me show you a couple pictures. Here's the first. Uh, these are baseball hats. Uh, maybe if you could see it here a moment ago, uh, Karn was wearing fedora hats. I've never met anybody who has that many fedora hats on their own. They all belong to her. I asked her that a few minutes ago. You know, we asked this question to the kids a few minutes ago, but let me ask you adults, young people in the room, could you for a moment make a list, a mental, do a in- mental inventory of the hats that you wear right now, all of your stations in life, all the vocations that you have, So you're a son of God the Father, daughter of God the Father. You've been a son or daughter of earthly parents. Maybe you have a family of your own. Maybe you are a parent. You've got brothers and sisters. You've got friends in this room, family, an extended family, the big family that we are together in this place. Um, Maybe you're a sports fan. I hear there's a hockey game on tonight. Anybody hear about that? Uh, This is a really difficult kind of thing that's happening in my house right now. I live uh, seven years in Tampa and eight years now here in, in Colorado. I'm not really sure which, you know, seat I should take on the bandwagon tonight, you know. Uh, my wife is from Tampa, so we're cheering for the lightning right now, so. It's <laughs> just the truth, you know. I know it's your turn, Avs fans, but whatever, all right. all the hats that you're wearing right now. My guess is that if Saul remembers the hat that belongs at the top of his list, 
that he belongs to the sovereign God of creation who has adopted him by grace and delighted in him. And he doesn't have to worry about how much he measures up in the eyes of the people around him because he has one in Yahweh God who delights in him. And then if if he remembers that right underneath that hat, that he has been called by the sovereign God of creation to be the king, that, then it doesn't matter how well or poorly he does his job, or for that matter, how well or poorly we do our jobs, or how uh, we have a way of saying in our house, you know, maybe you have this too, that if you, you get home at the end of the day, well, how was your day, what did you do? And you kind of make a list of the things that you did. Uh, you know, I, I clean the bathrooms and I fold the laundry, whatever it is. Uh, we, uh, we have this joke and kind of say, remember Thomas, the, the tank engine? Uh, he says that I feel like the goal in the, the world of Thomas is to be a really useful engine. You know, we say, I felt like a really useful engine today at home sometimes. <laughs> you know how like we have a tendency to find our worth and how productive we are? how much we got done, how, how good we are, and when we aren't productive. There's, there's something about being a Western person that's just embedded in our DNA. We feel good when we get stuff done, when we do it well, don't feel so good when we aren't that productive or don't do what we need to do well. That if Saul remembers that the hat underneath that hat is that he has, he's been called by God for a purpose and that everything that he does, whether he does it well or not, for that matter, for you and for me, everything we do, whether we do it well or not, has meaning and purpose because it is the calling that God has given to us. That he doesn't wake up one morning in such a bad mood. Or, he doesn't, or that you and me, that we don't go to bed at night making a list of the things that we should have done differently, the things that we have to do tomorrow, the things that wake us up in the middle of the night. That's picture number one. We get into trouble when we forget who we are and that, and that our being flows into our doing. Here's picture number two. What's this? Anyway, you can say it out loud. Go ahead. What is the pic this is a picture of? A table and chairs. That's what you think it is. This is actually a dining set that you can buy from Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't know that. So most cultures, Eastern and Western, who gets to sit at the head of the table? You can say it out loud. Maybe the host. Maybe the guest of honor. Gets a seat at the head of the table. Do you know what worry is? Worry is taking God's seat. It's saying, I don't trust that you have my best interests in mind. that I'll take matters into my own hands, that I'll take your seat at the head of the table. Again and again in the life of Saul, he's not content to give God the seat at the head of the table. He'd rather be in charge. Let me ask you a question. Who's got the seat at the head of the table in your heart. And to what degree does the sovereign God of creation have dominion over each area in your life? To mix metaphors for a moment in every hat that you wear, 
in the way that you spend your time, in the way that you spend your money, and in the things that you think, do you submit them to them, or submit them to him and to his promises? Do you trust that he has your best interest in mind? And in the choices that you make. I mean, like me, a few minutes ago, we had a couple minutes, a couple moments of silence that could last for minutes and minutes and minutes of the things that we've done when we confessed our sin that have been far outside his design for our lives. You know, Saul takes God's seat again and again, thinking that it will provide the rest that he's longing for, that it will be more comfortable. What he finds is that in God's seat, he's much more terrified and afraid and lonely and anxious and worried than if he gave that seat to the one to whom it belongs. This is Saul on the way down. From Saul on the way down to David on the way up. Hope you have your Bible open still. Let's read first verse 18. This is David's resume. He's the kind of guy that you want to be friends with. Uh, Listen to verse 18. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech. He's got a sort of charm and charisma, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. This is the guy you want to have for a party. I'm sure like if David was at a party, very humbly though, you know, if there was a piano there, he'd be playing the piano. There'd be a group of people around him. You'd kind of be holding court. He's got this charm, this presence about him. Because the Lord is with him, he's been anointed by the Spirit, Let's keep reading verse 19. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Let's pause right there. David's hired to be the musician, even though David knows that he's going to be the what? Anybody? The king. And then David has a sort of, maybe it was a lateral move from musician to armor bearer. Maybe he held both jobs at the same time, even though David is, knows that he's going to be, say it out loud, anybody? The king. I wonder if David ever wondered, what am I doing here? And who is this guy? Because I can do his job better than he can. He had a front row seat to all of Saul's flaws. I can't help but wonder if David wonders, what is God up to? Because this is not what I thought I'd be doing. That thought ever crossed your mind? God, what are you up to? 
Because if, if the pen were in my hand and I were writing the story of my life, this is not how I thought this chapter would go. Let me close. Because what do we do in those moments? Let me close by showing you two pictures again so that we may rest in God's calling and rest in his plan. Let's go back to the picture of the hats one more time. I have a friend. Her name is Corey. Uh, she gave me uh, permission to share her story. And Corey uh, just left Denver and moved back home to Kansas City. And she was in my office down that way, a, a couple doors down, a couple of weeks ago. And she said, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I've got a job that I love here that I'm leaving, and I don't have a job to go to in Kansas City, and I've got a church that I love, and I like this better than the church I grew up in back home. I'm going to miss our father so much, and she said, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Uh, her mom has breast cancer, just been diagnosed a couple months ago, and her dad has passed away years ago, and her sister, who's a couple years older than her, just had her first baby and starting a family. And Corey said to me, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And I said, Corey, you know, maybe you don't know what you're going to do professionally. But you know exactly what you're going to do personally. That you are going to be the same Corey that you've always been. You're still a beloved daughter of God the Father and you're beautiful in his eyes. That hasn't changed. And uh, you're, you're still going to be a daughter of your mom, and you're going to serve her and take her to the doctor and go to appointments with her. And you're going to be a sister. That isn't changing. And you're now going to get to be an aunt to hold your niece in your arms. And what you may do professionally, that could be changing. But the hats above that hat, at the top of the list, those things aren't changing. You know, on a good day, our identity is not in what we do, it's in who we are, the one that we belong to. And we have a tendency to reverse the order of those things, to put what we do, if we have a job, at the top of the list, or to miss the job that we used to have, to put that at the top of the list. Uh, we have a tendency in our culture today to elevate jobs that get a lot of attention and make a lot of money and to put at the bottom of the list jobs that don't get a lot of attention and don't make a lot of money. We have a tendency even in the church to elevate people who do spiritual things and to put at the bottom of the list secular things. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, we looked at this a few weeks ago, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It doesn't say your labor in the Lord, for the Lord, spiritual work is what counts. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, all of our work, because it's in the Lord, because you belong to him, that all of our work matters. That means Driving your loved one to the doctor matters. It's not in vain. And passing on a promotion because it will put more stress on your family. Even if it's for more money. That passing on that promotion is not in vain. That it matters. 
and it, doing labor, physical labor, going over to your neighbor's house to help them with a project in the yard so that gives you a chance to get to know them better and to build a deeper relationship with them, to set you up for a conversation to come in the future, that that matters, that it's not in vain. It means that, that you can go to work even if you have a boss that you don't enjoy like David and do good work for him or for her, that it's not in vain, that it all matters. Every hat that you wear, every calling that you have. So number one, let's go back to the table number two. We looked at this a moment ago in terms of the chairs at, around the table as the parts of our life. Let's zoom out for a moment, stick with this picture, and put God at the head of the table once again, and put around the table in the chairs the events of human history. The sovereign God of the universe, if you belong to him, sits at the head over time and space, and that he is working all the events in the story of your life, even the darkest ones for your good. I'm sure that David, in the field, killing lions, killing bears, protecting his father's sheep, has no idea that every rock he picks up will prepare him for the stone that he will pull out of the river to slay Goliath. He probably has no idea. And every time he plays the harp, the lyre, in Saul's court, he probably has no idea that that experience is preparing him to write half of the 150 psalms that we have in the Old Testament scriptures today. And that David in King Saul's court has no idea that every moment that he spends as his armor-bearer is preparing him, that experience, to be the king, or at least not like the king that he sees before him. Probably has no idea. How about you? If God is at the head of the table in the story of creation, the words of Romans 8, 28 are true, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Not some things, that all things. That though you may have no idea that what he's up to, because the pen is in his hand, not in yours, which is better by far. That you can rest in your calling. Number one, in all the hats that you wear, that you is put there for a purpose and all of your work matters, that you can rest in his plan. Because he sits at the head of the table in the story of creation and in the story of your life. Rest in God's calling for you today because you are right where he needs you to be. Not somewhere else and not to be someone else. He needs you to be you. Adopted by grace, beloved in his eyes, and rest in God's plan. And knowing that his purposes, whether we can see them or not, are always for your good. In the name of Jesus Christ, the one who came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for you.
Amen.